Our sermon text this morning comes from 1 Samuel chapter 14. If you'll turn there with me in your Bible. Uh, In the Pew Bible, you can find this on page 221. 221. Uh, We're continuing our series in 1 and 2 Samuel, uh, looking at how God builds his kingdom in the midst of his people. Uh, Especially lately, we've been looking at King Saul, good old Saul, uh, who is quickly losing his grip on the kingdom because of his sin. And so today we're going to look at yet another example of how Saul failed to be the king that the people really needed. And uh, as I said at the beginning of the service, it'll have lots of application for us because here Saul sins with his words. I'll begin our reading at verse 24. And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day, so Saul had laid an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. Now when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping But no one put his hand to his mouth, because the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. So he put out the tip of his staff that was in his hand, and dipped it into the honeycomb, and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes became bright. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. Then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See how my eyes became bright because I tasted a little of this honey? How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found? For now the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. They struck down the Philistines that day from Michmash to Aijalon, and the people were very faint. The people pounced on the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground. And the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, Behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And Saul said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a great stone to me here. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Let every man bring his ox or his sheep and slaughter them here and eat. And do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night and they slaughtered them there. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Then Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatever seems good to you. But the priest said, Let us draw near to God here. And Saul inquired of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But God did not answer him that day. And Saul said, Come here, all you leaders of the people. And know and see how this sin has arisen today. For as the Lord lives who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among all the people who answered him. Then he said to all Israel, You shall be on one side, and I and Jonathan my son will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, Do what seems good to you. 
Therefore Saul said, O Lord God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day? If guilt is in me or in Jonathan my son, O Lord God of Israel, give Urim. But if this guilt is in your people Israel, give Thummim. And Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. Then Saul said, Cast the lot between me and my son's son Jonathan. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff that was in my hand. Here I am. I will die. And Saul said, God do so to me and more also. You shall surely die, Jonathan. Then the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die? Who has worked this great salvation for Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground. For he has worked with God this day. So the people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines and the Philistines went to their own place. Well, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Amen. When I was a uh, student of literature and a teacher of English literature at Mulberry High School years ago, I used to have to teach uh, every year my students about this thing called the tragic flaw. Uh, a tragic flaw is a characteristic of a character. Usually it's the main character of a play or a book. Uh, and that person is usually a fairly good person, at least on the outside. But they have this one character issue, this flaw, that eventually in the story leads to their downfall. That's called the tragic flaw. One thing about them that was really bad that caused their downfall. For example, think about Hamlet, if you've ever read that story in high school. Uh, Hamlet loved his dad. He wanted justice for his dad's death, but his flaw was he was indecisive, right? To be or not to be. He couldn't decide. And so that was his flaw. Romeo and Juliet loved each other. Young love. And yet their flaw was they were naive and they had no experience. That was their downfall. Uh, Julius Caesar, great leader, but he trusted people too much. And so Brutus came in with the knife. Tragic flaws bring people down. Now think about this. What is King Saul's tragic flaw? As we've seen it unfold in the last couple of weeks and in here again this week. What is that one thing about Saul? that made him fail as king of Israel. After all, Saul was handsome, he was taller than everybody else, and he was a pretty good military leader. In fact, at the end of chapter 14, it lists out all the accomplishments that he had on the battlefield, and they were many. What was the flaw? Simply this. Saul did not have faith in God. That's pretty simple, but he didn't believe God. He didn't trust him, and that showed itself in various actions. Last week, he failed to wait on the Lord. He was not patient. This week, he opens his mouth and shows that he doesn't love God. He does not regard the Lord. He uses his words in an anti-God way, and it causes trouble. Now, I don't know that you would think this, but the words that we use can cost us greatly. Do you know that? Words can cost people kingdoms. Words can cost you a great deal. In fact, the Bible says it can cost you the most precious thing of all, 
your relationship with God. Because the word that we use, the words, are a window to the heart. Look, if you will, at your bulletin. I want to talk you through three things, and I've already given you the disclaimer. This is convicting. It's convicting for me, too, and I'll try to point that out as we go through. Uh, First of all, why do words matter so much to God? That's what we're going to see in verse 24 as Saul takes this very rash vow. And then we're going to see what power words can have in our lives. We'll see that in verses 25 to 42. And then finally, we'll end with the last uh, three or four verses. Uh, How does God use his words in such a different way than we do? All right, so first of all, why do words matter so much? Well, they do matter. The Bible says there is life and death in the power of the tongue. Life and death. And it, it doesn't mean that superstitiously, like, you know, putting hexes on people and stuff like that. Instead, what it means is you can either speak in a way that upbuilds people, and upbuilds yourself and situations around you, or you can speak in ways that tear people down and cause turmoil and trouble. Uh, God cares about the words we say, not only because words are like that, words can be used to harm people and bring trouble and chaos, but God cares about words in the first place because they show the attitude of our heart towards him. You can see that in the story. In verse 24, Saul sins by laying on the people an oath that he should have never laid on them. Look at his oath in verse 24. Cursed. Does that sound like a good thing to say? About your own people as you're leading them in battle? Cursed. And then why does he pronounce this curse? Is it some serious thing that he's seen that's wrong with his people? No. Cursed be anyone who eats. He's laying on the people a curse that he should have never laid on them. If anyone eats until evening, they are cursed, Saul says, until I am avenged on my enemies. Listen to how much he thinks about himself. I'm the one who's going to be avenged on my enemies, and you all can't eat until we do. By the way, and also, you've got to go out and fight for me. What a rash thing to do. What a foolish thing to do, actually. Contrast that with the way his son has been acting. Jonathan is a brilliant character in the book of Samuel. In fact, it's kind of ironic that Saul is the only one who has a good kid. I'll just let that hang there. Um, That is just a reminder of the sovereignty of God in the lives of our children. Um, The good characters in Samuel, their children end up being kind of scoundrelly. Saul, who is a total scoundrel, ends up having a really good kid. uh, Jonathan is brave when his father is weak. Saul's hiding in the pomegranate cave at the beginning of chapter 14. He doesn't know what to do, and so he's sort of paralyzed by his battle analysis. And yet Jonathan is the one who has the boldness to charge the past enemy lines and to kill some of the Philistines in order to kick them out of the the land. And he does so using his words in a faithful manner. And I want everybody to look with me to chapter 14, verse 6. I want you to get your eyes on this verse because this is how Jonathan uses his words. So different than his dad. Completely different. 
It says this. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised Philistines. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Isn't that awesome? You, you'll, you'll not find any other statement in the Bible that's more beautiful or faithful than that. Uh, he doesn't presume that God's going to do everything he wants him to do. He says, if the Lord, the Lord might come to our defense, maybe, if the Lord wants to. But at the same time, he says, confidently, I know even if he, does, even if he doesn't, it's not because he can't. Because whether many are with us or few are with us, God is able to save his people. What a faithful use of words. That began a battle where only two men, Jonathan and his armor bearer, killed 20 Philistines within the space of one half acre of land. If you're counting, that's a lot of bodies per square foot. And it made a point. The point was Israel would not stand for the Philistine occupation and the Philistine oppression. When Saul sees this, he's like, okay, my son's doing something good. Let me join him now. And he's late to the battle. But as soon as Saul enters the battle and he sees how hard it is, that's when he swears his own oath. Listen, a heart that believes in God when pressed will talk about God will turn towards God and talk to God, will speak highly of the Lord and even encourage other people to think highly of the Lord. Jonathan. But a heart that is empty of faith and empty of love for the Lord, when hard-pressed, will not speak highly of the Lord. Instead, all that they can do is turn to themselves and to their own resources and their own strategies. It comes right out in the words that they say. And so Saul is superstitious. He's swearing a vow probably to try to get God to have to do what he wants him to do because, look, God, the soldiers are fasting today for you. So you have to listen to us. That's a different attitude than Jonathan. Perhaps the Lord will come to our aid, Jonathan had said. Saul is speaking unjustly because he's laying a burden on the people that he had no right to lay on them. God had not commanded them not to eat. And if God has not commanded people to do something, it's not the right of a man to command them to do it for conscience sake. The conscience of a person is meant to be under the rule of God alone. And Saul tried to become God in this scene. And we've already noted how foolish his words are. After all, there is a time and place to fast. Do y'all agree with that? It ain't during a battle. Isn't that right? How crazy to ask his soldiers not to eat to refresh themselves while they were in the heat of the battle. What did that show to God? His superstition showed that he did not value God. His injustice showed that he did not value God's image in the people. His foolishness showed that he did not value God's truth. And it's the same thing with us. The words we say show what we think about God. Now, isn't that convicting or what? Aren't you glad you don't wear a tape recorder around your neck everywhere you go, recording all that you say 
to be played back at a future date. One, uh, one writer said that if that were the case, and at the final judgment, all God would have to do is simply pay, play back our tape every time we judge someone else with our words, and all he would have to do is judge us by our own words to condemn us. Because we've always, haven't we, with our words, judged people more harshly than we judge ourselves or than we want to be judged. Wow. Here's the way Jesus says it. A good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. And so, this is Jesus in Matthew 12, same passage. Bad tree, bad fruit, good tree, good fruit. So, God will one day hold us accountable for every careless word we speak. Whoa. Even the words we did not care about when we uttered them, even the words we immediately regretted, those words, whether we like this or not, those words are revealing something that's really in there. I know for me, when I say something that's not right, I want to jump quickly and say, well, I didn't mean that. I want to jump quickly and say, that's not me. That was just the heat of the moment. But all too often, it's rare that that's really true. All too often, it is exactly what I think. And it is exactly how I feel about God and, sadly, about that person made in God's image that I've heard. This is why God cares about our words. God made words. God made us as creatures who can speak words. God himself is a speaking God who speaks only what is in his glorious heart. And so when he sees us, what God looks for are pure hearts, loving hearts that speak loving words, not curses, not oaths that hinder the people. That's the first thing. That's why... Words matter to the Lord. But secondly, I want us to observe something about their power. As we said a moment ago, the Bible says life and death is in the power of the tongue. Uh, you can build people up or you can tear them down. You can start trouble or you can make peace. It's all our choice. Every time we open our mouths, we can do one or the other. Now, why is this the case? Well, I want you to notice how Saul responds to the developing situation. So Saul, in verse 24, curses the people. He lays them under an oath. And then bad things start to happen in verse 25. And those bad things begin to sort of unravel throughout the whole scene. And all along the way, Saul refuses to recognize he's the source of the trouble. I don't know about you, but at my house, uh, when Stacy and I walk into a room and we see that it's a mess... Immediately we say, who did this? Do you want to guess how many people come up and say, oh, Father, it is I. Oh, Mother, the sin is mine. Mine is the transgression. These are my socks. These are my underwear. That never, ha that never happens. In fact, sadly, it's always now, these days, it's, it's Xander, right? The, the youngest one gets blamed, right? Usually always, sadly. We don't like to admit our fault when there's a mess at our own expense, right? Neither did Saul. As soon as he gave this oath, what happened? Well, duh, what happened was people got hungry. 
And they started to faint while they were in battle. It, tell, it, says, it says that two times. The people were faint and the people were very faint. Meaning they were literally about to pass out. The hunger overwhelmed them. When they walked into the forest, they saw honey without bees. I mean, wow. Honey, did you notice all that? Honey was dropping down in the woods. And they couldn't eat it because Saul had made them swear not to. Now, I mean, what a providence that was of God that they walked into a forest dripping with honey. That doesn't happen every day. And, and no doubt it was placed there by God to refresh Israel in the midst of the battle, but they weren't able to get it because Saul had done that stupid thing that he did. When they did get a chance to eat, what happens then? They're so hungry, they forget all their manners. And they start slaughtering animals and eating them with the blood still in there. Now, even today, we would think, that's pretty rude. That's pretty gross, actually. You've got to at least, you know, cook it to rare, right? And yet, at this time, it was more than just a lack of manners. It was also a violation of God's law for Israel, a ceremonial law that they had to keep then about diet, you cannot eat blood because blood is meant to symbolize God's atoning sacrifice on the altar, so don't eat the blood. Yet they did it. They were driven into sin because of Saul's words. And then by the time you get to the end of the story, Jonathan, the actual only hero in the story, is the one who is about to die by execution at the hands of his own father. Y'all, everything in this story was going well until Saul opened his mouth. And when Saul opened his mouth, it started to unravel greatly. Trouble everywhere. Harm was being caused by, to everyone in the story. And yet Saul, at the end of the day, refused to take ownership and instead decides, I'm going to kill my son for what I've done. He's going to take the fall, and I'm going to murder Jonathan in front of everybody. Do you realize that your words have caused trouble? Do you realize your words have hurt people? Perhaps your words have kept people back from the blessing that God wanted them to have but because you talked them down or discouraged them. They, didn't, they weren't able to enjoy it. We're all guilty, aren't we? Every one of us. Even the smallest, quote-unquote, smallest sins with our words can have huge effects. Uh, James says that, that the, the tongue is like a spark. It's a little tiny spark of fire that can set a whole forest ablaze. Or like a little rudder, tiny rudder that moves a, a big ship one way or the other. Like a bit in the horse's mouth, he says. This little tiny thing that turns an entire horse. Our little sins with our words can have huge effects and we don't even realize it. And what this is telling us is we have to notice that. We, have, we cannot be like Saul and sit there and only blame everybody else for the mess that we have caused by our unholy use of words. We have to own that before the Lord. 
Maybe for you it's gossip. Let me just list a few ways. Gossip. Gossip, that doesn't seem that bad. I mean, it's juicy little nuggets that pass the time. And, you know, I feel a lot better about myself when I'm talking about somebody else. I don't know about you. But think about how gossip can destroy someone's reputation. Gossip can sow discord even among people who like each other. What about being quarreling? Somebody who's always trying to pick a fight. Yeah, that doesn't seem, I mean, maybe not a big deal. It's just that you're a, kind of a jerk, but it doesn't really harm every, anybody else. No. Doesn't quarreling create strife for other people, not just yourself? Do you like being around a quarrelsome person? Can't quarrelsomeness actually incite violence? What about angry words? Maybe that's our issue. Angry words cause hatred to develop over time. Hatred that at a certain point can hardly be cured. Angry words impair decision making. I mean, have you ever noticed when someone starts being angry with you, a certain feeling rises up? Or when you get angry at somebody and start flying off the handle, a feeling rises up that you, you lose control over making wise decisions. Either way, words cause harm. What about lying? Lying sets traps for people that they will end up falling into if they believe your lies. And, and by the way, lying sets traps for the liar almost more than it does for those who are lied to. Anybody ever had to lie to cover a lie? And then to lie to cover that lie? And before you know it, you might not even remember what the truth is. You've fallen into your own trap. I don't want to belabor this, but the words that we speak really can bring death as well as life. So what is to be done about this? Let's look at our third thing this morning. The thing that is to be done is we have to pay attention to how God uses his words. This can change the whole thing. This can make the whole scene look differently. Look, look with me there at verse 43 to 46. Make no mistake about it. God is intervening here. Jonathan is about to die. And God intervenes using words. Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan said, and he, he confessed it. He didn't hide anything. He didn't lie. He used his words well. I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff that was in my hand. And then he accepts what apparently is now his fate. I mean, this is a remarkable thing to say. Here I am. I will die. I'll, I'll die for everybody else. If it takes killing me to remove this awful curse over the people then kill me wow what a use of words again Jonathan showing such great commitment and faith Saul who can't get out of his own way swears another oath in verse 44 that he will in fact kill Jonathan his son God do so to me and more also that's an oath that's a way to swear God do so to me and more also, you shall surely die, Jonathan. Wow. And then, this is the golden word, verse 45. 
the people said. Now, in the Bible, the people don't get very good press, usually, right? I know we like to talk about the people. Well, the people aren't, always, aren't usually very good, but in this case, the people do something marvelous. Shall Jonathan die, they asked? Jonathan, who has worked this great salvation in Israel, shall our Savior be put to death? Far be it from us. God forbid that this happen. And then they swear an oath of their own, a good oath, an oath of faith. As the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground. For Jonathan has worked with God this day. And it says, by their words, they ransomed Jonathan. Can you believe it? Words that can ransom a dead man. That's the way God uses his words. Saul was willing to put his son to death for his own sin. God would one day put his son to death for our sin. The word of Saul was a curse on those who eat. God's fatherly word is a blessing on those who come to Christ and eat the bread of life, never to be hungry again. Jonathan said, I will die. But the people stood in the gap and ransomed him from death. Jesus said, Father, I will die. And Jesus actually was put to death that the people might go free. Do you notice how this is a picture of the gospel of Jesus? That greatest of all words, the word gospel means good news. And as the Bible says, good news from a far country is like cold water to a thirsty man. Good news, when you hear it, can just refresh you. Right? Well, what about this good news? The God who made us, in spite of the fact that we have shown by our words that we don't believe in him, we don't love him, and despite the fact we have caused all kinds of trouble by the words we've said, has yet used his word to ransom us for his sake. How about that for good news? How about that for a word that saves rather than kills and tears down? And what can happen in our lives, y'all? This is the great thing. What can happen is that good news as it's brought into us, as if we believe it and let it just wash over us. God has ransomed me. God has loved me. God has treated me far better than I deserve. That good news can turn a bitter heart that speaks bitter words all the time into a sweet heart that speaks words of peace. not saying it'll all happen overnight, but it will happen. It does happen. I, I, people are proof of it. When they come to put their faith in Jesus Christ as their ransom, the bitterness, the pain, the poison of the heart becomes life-giving. A, a fresh stream of life flowing from our hearts that can then get expressed in words that are like Jonathan's and not like Saul's. Jesus Christ changes the heart. Do you want that change this morning?
Do you want the word of the gospel to be the word that dominates your thoughts and your life and your feelings? It should. How might that change the way you speak? How might it change the way I speak? Saul lost his kingdom because he did not believe in God. And he used his words to express that. How much more should we be committed to loving God and believing in God and expressing that with our words when we have been given a kingdom by the faithfulness of our King Jesus whose every word was life. Even while he was on the cross, what did he say with his words? Father, forgive them. And today you will be with me in paradise. Blessing. Amen.